The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Come on, be honest with me now, Kev. Were you were you uh, were you absolutely vegan uh, over the Christmas period, or, or partaking a little of um, of, of the, uh, the turkey? I had some festive falafels. Festive falafels. Yep, festive falafels. Funny falafels. name for turkey. Oh, he didn't eat. You know. And um, for dessert, I had some dust. <laughs> vegan things going well then <laughs> you enjoy- did, did everybody else have have normal christmas dinner yeah they all so, had a lovely day in, yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> you sat in the corner ate your falafels the fuji cast <laughs> that really helped your smile count for the day didn't it right well welcome to uh, the fuji cast very very different episode for the next couple of weeks uh, it's going to be a, a kind of a, a best of the guests or some of our favorite moments uh, those kind of things and um we're going to start actually this week with, um, and we've talked about this so often, haven't we? Uh, about um, Gemma and Sam's appearance on the show, our, our other halves, um, who were discussing what it's like to live with a wedding photographer or, or a photographer. And um, and I, one of the things you talk a lot about is the day you went home to, to tell Gemma that you wanted to become a wedding photographer. And there can't be many people that haven't heard your side of the story. But before we play her side of the story, what does she, what does she say from your side? Well, she she basically... It wasn't so much what she said, it's what she looked like. <laughs> <laughs> Thunder. Dumb, founded. Uh, a baby under one arm. And uh, yeah, but uh, you know, as 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 came out in the interview, which was it was lovely. I think having them on the show actually, Sam and Gemma, and as came out in the interview, it all went smoothly after <laughs> a bit. Twice he's done it to me now. Gets me postnatally exhausted with a small baby. Um, oh yeah, you had Rosa. You had Rosa. Yeah, just she, had Rosa. Yeah, she was tiny. So I was, so I'm on maternity leave, thinking you know, I've got nine months off, and then I've got my job back in London, and we live in Wiltshire, and not sure how that's all going to pan out. And he just rocks up, and we were sat outside, and he just said, "You know what? I'm I I just really want to be a photographer." And I just thought, shit. Right, so I now am going to go back to work, support us while he fannies around with gadgets. That's that's honestly what I thought. I yeah. thought, oh my god, you didn't he's, think it would last. He's having a he's having a midlife. You know, we've had a baby and he's gone. <laughs> yeah, the second time he did it to me, we got a new BMW in the studio. Yeah. But um, yeah, the first time was this whole kind of you know, I'm going to be a photographer. Oh. And what I did really, you say that night? Did you say no? You're not. No. Let's let's have a glass of wine um, and. and, and and we'll sort of we'll, let's be sensible about this. He'd work. He'd work for himself for fifteen years. I knew he could run a business, mm. and I knew he was a hard worker, and I knew he was a grafter. So I knew that he wasn't just going to be a fly by night. But I just didn't think you could earn any money out of photography, mm. and you can't. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I you know I I just the I, days of Porsche's gone. Yeah, yeah, it's all done, <laughs> done, dusted. But yeah, it was it was. I was really worried, and then I remember about a week later when I'd been. trying trying to sort of say to him well you know maybe do it as a hobby a bit more first and and he just looked at me and he was really I'm gonna do it you don't believe me my mom doesn't believe me you know the family doesn't believe me I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it another thing that came out in the meet the other half feature is that Kevin's happier in the shadows than in the limelight often which may sound a strange thing to say about a photographer who successfully represents a large brand and speaks on stages across the world, an ambassador, a proponent, a speaker. He hates to be seen as somebody who's celebrating his own success, which irritates yeah. the living daylights out of me sometimes, because mm-hmm. sometimes I'm a little bit like, all right, you did good, so hooray. You know, yeah. He never, even privately, will be like, yeah... Yeah, he's often said to me, actually, that he, he doesn't push himself forward all the time. He's waiting for the invites from people to... You know how yes. some photographers um, really push themselves into situations? Yes. The ones that are searching for ambassadorial ships. Yeah, the willy wavers. <laughs> you can call them that. <laughs> but he's, ne- he's not like that. No, which is which is which is interesting, and I think sometimes people take that the wrong way. Like he's being, I don't know, standoffish or a bit aloof, and that's that's not true. Yeah. There's an interesting uh, story we 
we went to Bath for our wedding anniversary this year in March and I was we'd split up and I was in a shop waiting for, for him not we hadn't split up no, I was about to say this is we, a revelation yes <laughs> not a minute Jeff gold bloom I'm ready for you um, no we, we'd gone our, our separate ways shopping and he came back to meet me and he and he was all red and flustered and he was like oh this guy just came up to me and went are you Kevin Mullins you know <laughs> And I yeah. and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, oh, of course he did. Yeah, what was his name? And he was like, mm, Steve. And I was like, yeah, Steve. Oh, good old Steve the fan. And I was really <laughs> taking the Mickey out of him. And then literally later on, we were in this restaurant having dinner. Uh, we were chatting away, and the waitress came over and went, uh, excuse me, um, the chefs have just asked me to come over because they're too embarrassed. Are, are you a photographer? And he said, yeah. Are you, are you Kevin Mullins? And she <laughs> goes, yeah. <laughs> They're just massive fans of yours and they want to send you and your wife a drink because they know it's your anniversary because they follow you on social media. And I was like, oh, my God, did you pay them to do that? <laughs> <laughs> and and we had this free drink and everything. And then we went on and I was like, you must be so... If that happened to me in front of him on yeah. our anniversary, I would think I was the dog's doodad. <laughs> and I would be so happy. Yeah. And Kev's like, just really embarrassed it is what it is yeah it is what it is really quiet about it i'm i'm intrigued because we've got that much longer i mean i'm intrigued to what you would say to um to a partner that is is watching their their version of kev kevette or kev for them yeah going through this (laughs) yeah and and thinking oh i want them to do anything but this just why can't you stay in your safe insurance job or whatever it is that you do um it's tough because i'm really risk averse uh so i wouldn't say i'm not a like you know you've got to go out your comfort zone i'm very much more stay in your comfort zone under your duvet uh but with hindsight it's a lot of work and it's a lot it takes a lot of encouragement and it does take balls of steel sometimes and sometimes you really have to take a lot of criticism and a lot of of of, of tough stuff but actually if you can find yourself a community so encourage your partner to go out find a community of like-minded photographers who are going to be supportive i know you guys get a lot from your private forums that you have and your your that's important yeah Yeah. um finding a peer group find a peer group that's that's what i was the word i was searching for find a peer group be supportive you know and 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 really ultimately though you have to take the plunge you know i've met a lot of people through kev who have a wardrobe full of cameras and they're really good photographers and they just can't take that just do it just yeah yeah see how you go you'll soon find out if you don't like it don't do it anymore. I, I'm going to ask last question. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I have no idea how Kev's what Kev's going to ask Sam. Um, we've split these two apart, and the only time I'll get to hear it is when the edition comes out, and the only time Kev gets to hear this bit is when this edition comes out. Mm-hmm. I'm quite sure how that's technically going to work because I edit it most weeks. <laughs> but we're going to we're going to figure a way. Somebody somebody else might edit next week's. Um, so I, th- this is really for 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 kev yeah what what do you say to to your husband to kev about how you feel about his work and what he's done and what he's achieved and where he should go and what he should do next and Uh, wow okay i would say kev i am incredibly proud of you and i think your work is beautiful and if nothing else, our kids have the most amazing document of their childhood that you could ever wish for, which is just such a massive gift. Um, I think he should just carry on doing what he's doing. He's, he's, he, I think definitely life just takes you in the direction. I have faith now that he's built up, you know, the the skill set and and. And all of the stuff that goes around that, just to let it take him where it will. And at the end of the day, if he wants to be a road sweeper or whatever, I don't care. Actually, it'd be quite nice to have him round on a Saturday. So, and or, you know what, I always say this to him when we're having one of our rows. I just go back to work. He can retire, look after the kids. On this week's episode, some of our favourite, or if you will, pivotal moments in the first year of the Fujicast. A year of firsts for us, of course. From the very first link, the very first recorded moment where 
Kev sat across the desk from me, watching my hand hover over the big red go button. One, two, one, two, one, two. You do realise now that pressing this record button means we have to record it. That's it. Committed. The Fuji cast. I'm not sure you could say there was ever a great deal of planning involved in that first show. We knew we wanted to be able to talk about photography and loosely pin it around our love of the Fuji film range, of course, but we didn't want it just to be about one brand, and of course that's often presented the question. Why did you call it the Fuji cast? Sometimes, perhaps in terms of attracting a wider audience, it would have been easier to have found another title, but it just seemed to sit right. And what you don't know is that originally I'd recorded a pilot episode almost a year earlier, minus Kev, which, whilst interesting to make, didn't exactly set the world alight when it was presented to some of the powers that be at HQ. So I'd personally said, that's it, and put the idea to bed, until chatting with Kev, most likely in an Indian restaurant over a pint of Kingfisher and Chicken Madras. Carnivorous memories, eh, Kev? So the new concept was born, a co-presented kind of radio show where we could, to use an East End term, banter with quizzes and interviews and a good old-fashioned mailbag, albeit electronic. And probably the first thing we found was this theme tune, which was produced by Blue Wednesday, an artist I follow on SoundCloud. After that, the next thing we needed to build was a mailbag, so it didn't just end up being two blokes chatting without direction. So the very first question to start the ball rolling actually came from Kev's YouTube channel. I have one here, and it's from somebody called Mengt Keen. Um, YouTube is always great for, uh, for the amazing names that people come up with. Um, and the question is, hi Kevin, how do you deal with low light at weddings, particularly after a ceremony when the festivities start and you're either attempting to work with a wide depth of field and therefore a smaller aperture, yeah. or you want a bit of subject movement but not make everyone blurry? And so my answer to that, I guess, is it just because one person, one photographer works in one way, it doesn't mean for sure that that's the right way or certainly not the only way to do it. And I am a I've always been a, a, a lover of uh, analogic looking images mm. so i you know i i've embraced grain i've embraced noise so i'm very happy uh, especially now with the new breed of uh future film x trans sensors the you know to be shooting at 12,800 iso i'm more than happy to do that if i absolutely have to um now i will i've over the years i've i've kind of uh, understood the cameras a lot more and I understand the focusing systems very well and so I can shoot at very fast apertures and still focus in low light and still get the images that I need without the necessarily need to throw a light onto it or to use flash um, I do sometimes use a little uh, Manfrotto um, LED light um, which we can, we might talk about that a little bit later actually. I think. It's on my wish list Yeah, on the wish list <laughs> um, <laughs> So that that's pretty useful but I think the question is relating to if I want to use a uh, you know a, a different aperture such as f5.6 or f8, um, and and the brutal honesty to that is I don't because if I want to be shooting if I need to shoot at f8 and it's very low light, my shutter speed is going to be too low. The yeah. ISO will not be able to go high enough, um, and the only way that I would be able to deal with that is by using flash. And for me, in that you're environment, you're not a flash shooter. I'm not a flash no. shooter, and that's that's that that's through personal choice. Doesn't mean it's it's you know it's it's the right or wrong way to do things. But for me, uh, you know, the thought of maybe having to use a, tr- a stabilizer, a tripod, and setting up some off-camera flash and uh, all that kind of stuff, that's that's just not the way that I do things, and I don't want to do things that way. And my clients don't expect me to be doing that kind of stuff. Um, so for those people who are shooting in, you know, they want to use that kind of wider depth of field. F8, F5.6, whatever, and it is still extremely low light, then, you know, the fact is it's photography and you are going to have to illuminate it somehow or you're going to have to really crank up the ISO or Mm. you're going to have to shoot at really, really low shutter speed, which is going to introduce motion blur. Uh, You know, it's just a way of understanding your camera. But for me, it's I'm a back button focuser. I focus very quickly. I will use continuous focus in the in the low light situations. And, you know, I mean, the the fact is with the X-T3 now, the um, the face detection and the autofocus is another level 
level up from so do the you, previous do cameras. you use that autofocus in conjunction with this low light shooting method you have yeah so um continuous afc continuous focus mode so it's always afc afc so it, actually it would be really handy to have what what are the kev mullins settings <laughs> when you get to that dance situation the light has fallen you shoot in shallow depth of field for uh-huh. sure we know that now uh-huh. is, is is there a, a, a typical setting including focus that you would use yeah so i would i would use afc um i would use the uh, fastest aperture on the lens so if i'm using the 56 1.2 it will be at f 1.2 if i'm using the 23 1.4 it's going to be at f 1.4 that will bring down the the iso as much as possible i will i pretty much shoot everything on auto iso at a minimum shutter speed of 1 1 25th now if when i'm testing the the you know getting ready for the, the first dance for example if my auto ISO is pushing my shutter speed down really, really low, lower than the 1 125th. Because in auto ISO, by the way, the minimum shutter speed is only the recommended minimum shutter speed. It will go below. It will go below. It will never exceed the ISO, but it may well have to go below the, the shutter speed. So in that case, if that's what it's doing, then I may drop it down to 160th or you know 1 100th or whatever. It depends on the lens. Um, and uh, CL, um, continuous, uh, sorry, um, high-speed burst, but in the low level because you have CH and CL yeah. uh, you know confusingly the lower of the two the lower of the two which CL. is about three frames per second as yeah. default um, and that's that's absolutely fine for the for the first dance it depends a little bit on what they're going to do so I will always ask the DJ beforehand or the, the, the band you know what's the first dance um, and you know normally it's something I've never heard of because I'm about 150 years old <laughs> and uh, you know everybody else is unless it's Lady in Red <laughs> yeah. oh, um, I know that one Lady in Red yeah <laughs> um, and, and and so really what I'm asking them is is it slow or fast yeah. is it a slow or fast dance are they likely to be doing some kind of funky routine where the groom's throwing the bride over his head and you know they're doing kind of bends and swan ducks and all that kind of stuff in which case i will you know that 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 does make me work a little bit differently but generally you know generally for the kind of shuffle dancers that that most weddings seem to have where the guy is really totally unimpressed about having to do this um it's it's pretty slow and so yeah continuous focus fastest aperture i'll use a a wide lens and a a, a kind of telephoto-ish lens so the 56 23 almost always occasionally the 16 depending on on what's going on i'll normally shoot with my back to the band or back to the dj yeah so I can get the context. So the light's going with you. The light's going with me, but also I've got the context of the the people in the background. The people in the background staring at their mobile phones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fortunately, those questions we utilised from our YouTube and Facebook accounts did the trick. We spent the week looking at the inbox for click at fujicast.co.uk, but you know what? You got the idea straight away. And so come episode two, we had our first question sent to the dedicated show address from a chap called Tim. Tim. You were the first. This email is from somebody called Tim Hothersall, uh, or Hathersall. And his question is, if you if you could only have one camera, what would it be um, and why? And so, the, obviously, you know, I have uh, a lot of Fujifilm cameras. I also have some non-Fujifilm old uh, legacy film cameras, Pentax and uh, Canon A1, I think, something like that, kicking around. If I actually absolutely 100% had to only have one camera out of my entire collection right now... Of the Fujifilm ones? Of the Fujifilm ones, I would go for the original X100. No way. Yeah. I just remember that as being possibly the worst camera I I ever owned for dynamic range and focusing in backlit conditions it was one of those cameras that i totally agree with you i i had one it arrived one morning and i took it to a wedding that afternoon and um, by the end of the day i was ready to just throw it in the bin um but the images that did turn out were uh, spectacular Mm. they were beautiful and I think the the reason why I picked that now is because it subsequently had a several firmware updates mm. and made it a lot more capable as a camera. Um, still nothing compared to what the X100T and S and all those that and came F, after yeah. it were. Um, but there's something about that camera. There's something about the files that the original X-Trans sensor produced. Um, what do you mean in terms of colour or contrast or...? Uh, I don't know. There's something about the feeling of those files that are different. We'll come back with some other excerpts in a moment, but let's hear from one of the Fujicast guests from 2019. Both myself and Kev are fans of the YouTube platform and follow a whole bunch of photography channels. And in our own modest way, I guess you could say, we're YouTubers. 
Myself, I have my small channel in terms of sub numbers. I'm like a microbrew without the hangover. And Kevin has started to build a healthy following with his films about Fujifilm cameras, reviews, editing advice, and problem-solving hints and tips. We're avid signed-up followers of YouTubers like Peter McKinnon, the Canadian photographic channel sensation, and, closer to home, Sean Tucker, who in the past year has seen real growth in his channel, which deals with the more philosophical side of being a photographer and what it's like to be a creative. The ups and downs and those days where you wonder if it's all actually worth it. And a lot of this content is formed by his own experiences of personal highs and lows as a photographer and filmmaker. Often social media can be a place where you can feel somewhat intimidated, if that's the correct expression, by the awesome life everyone else seems to be experiencing. And finding someone who questions and studies that, who shares their own completely genuine and authentic journey, minus the colloquially termed BS, is a rare find, even on a platform so vast it seems infinite by nature. So I was intrigued to know if it's the absolute laid-bare honesty that he shares that really has projected him on the YouTube platform. I don't know. I think so. Uh, looking at the comments you get and the community that builds around it, it's definitely what people talk about the most on my channel. And it, it, was, it was a decision early on because when I started in photography, I went to YouTube like everybody else does to learn skills and teach yourself, which is great. You can do that today. It's amazing. And I was often really disheartened by watching YouTubers who, you know, most of their video ended up being a marketing tactic of look how great I am, look how much success I have and all the clients that want to work with me. And then a month later, you'd see they disappear because they went bankrupt. I'm like, oh, you were lying. You, you were just saying stuff because the whole point of you making videos was to show off about how great you are and how discouraging that was to me trying to teach myself going, well, if this guy's doing this and he's got so many clients, what's wrong with me? Why can't I make this work? And I made a choice that I would never make videos like that, that I would be as honest about where it's not working and failing and how, how little work I actually get in as a photographer and how it's a constant struggle. Even if I have a YouTube channel that's working, it's still a struggle and still difficult to make things work. And, and the, the one guy who stands out, I think was, uh, Zach Arias. Yeah. Who, who, who the tone of his videos felt a bit different to me. And he was someone I, I, I latched onto earlier and there was a video he did for Scott Kelby's channel, I think called transform. This, the one where he said, I'm moving a thousand miles down. Uh, I can't remember the, it's such a beautiful quote, but I yeah. can't remember it. Yeah. And it's sort of very ambient, lots of sort of B roll and voiceover. And it was very, very honest about how it wasn't working for him. And I thought that that video made an impression on me and I, and I always wanted to be at least that honest and say where it wasn't working because I think if I'm genuinely not just trying to show off about the fact that I think I'm a good photographer and I'm trying to help people because I think that's what a lot of people do on YouTube is there's a, they, they've got this veil of I want to educate people but it, it's mostly about promoting themselves and I, I didn't want to fall into that trap so I'm very deliberate about being honest about where things are difficult or or where my work didn't meet my own standards or other people's standards or where you know money was tight or because then it encourages people to know that the difficulties in their journey are everyone's there's safety in numbers we can just keep going together and I, then I think I am more likely to help the danger of course is that people can contrive that that scenario as well I've seen films um, I've watched films where people talk of their struggles and I thought oh are you are you really struggling or, or, or is this a struggle just to get figures? I mean, that's an integrity issue, isn't it? That's you, you, you have to call yourself on that. If, if you're if you've now using vulnerability as a gimmick, then you're going to uh, I mean, like you've seen through it. I think it is easy to, th to see through and people can usually pick up the difference. But yeah, it, it, it's it's definitely it, it's what I did in the church. It's it's what I do on YouTube. It's it's what I hopefully will always do. I I I I don't like building deeper friendships or relationships with people where I can't really trust what you're saying or I feel like you're trying to impress me the whole time. We're not going to go very far. The people I build around me are people like that. It's it's what I relate to. So it's what I'm very hard on myself about putting out to the rest of the world as well. Was there one? It was only one video. It's it's difficult because I. I I feel I know your back catalogue really quite intimately. Was there one where you think that's the one? It probably is the Snowdonia one right at the start, isn't it? It's the one that that uh, felt like the direction going forward for me. I'd, I'd done a few tutorials 
some more dry product tutorials, which is still on my channel, which did all right, but I didn't connect with them. And I don't, I think other people connected with them because it gave good info, not because there was anything more to it. But the Snowdonia one, again, I was being very vulnerable and saying that I was shooting in studios all week, very technical product photography, which wasn't very creative. So I'm going to put myself out there, go and shoot um, landscapes, which I don't do. It's not something I'm very good at just to try and refresh photography as a pursuit and discovery and by putting myself in a position where I didn't know what I was doing and and people related to that because of the vulnerability in that and and that felt like what I used to do with church so it's like that's the way forward yeah and that that video did well and I think it got passed around a lot and that's where it it ticked up for me a little bit on the channel yeah and and I saw the potential of something going forward yeah and uh, I mean, you, you hear this all the time, the photographer's game is kind of getting up when you think the light's going to be good, which is obviously before sunrise and right up to sunset. Try and find a spot and wait it out and hope the magic happens. Um, unfortunately, I mean, this is what I've chosen. I came up here last night and had a look and it's got this beautiful view over this dam here. And I'm all set up, ready to go. And uh, it's very cloudy. So, so there are breaks in the cloud like up there, so I'm thinking maybe if I get lucky and uh, just get a clear spot, maybe we'll get some light coming through. But then again, what they don't tell you is you could sit here and, you know, you've woken up at five in the morning and hiked all the way up this mountain and uh, nothing's going to happen. It's just going to be cloudy, but that's why I suppose that's what the game is. So I'm going to hang out here for about... I mean, on my channel, the, the videos that do well are not the ones that I like. They're, they're, the, they're the info ones. It's like if I, if I, I think the, the most viewed one on my channel is about, you know, choosing, developing a color look to your images and how you dial that in custom. You don't rely on presets. I don't really care about that video. I care about something where I'm sitting and telling a bit of a story. They don't do as well. Like I just did one in January this year with my grandfather who was showing through images he took in 1945, 46, 47 when he was in the Navy, including, you know, the ruins of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and down to Australia and, and Singapore, Hong Kong and amazing stories. Like I'm really happy I captured that and think it's, it's a good watch. Yes. This one, I hope you yeah. can see it. He is a Japanese prisoner of war. Mm. He'd been, we had him on board ship, a Japanese prisoners of war on board as the working party. Mm. And I, as they were leaving the ship, I stood at the bottom of the gangway with my brownie box camera, mm. ready to take photographs of some of them as they came off. And he's running at me. Mm to try and knock the camera out of my hand. Oh, gosh. But I did. But it's never going to get the traction of me telling you how to do colour theory. But I'm not out to build a techie channel. I want it to be the story-driven stuff. So I'll give the technical stuff every now and again because I don't mind and it's stuff I know. But I want to focus on the other stuff. Your, your videos have a, a very gentle pace. They start with a philosophical quote or maybe a, a couple of quotes. Uh, not, not just from photographic masters, though. Where, where did the idea for, for that come from? It's a, it's a wonderful way to start a film. I mean, I feel ex extremely, is the word appropriate, comfortable the moment I start watching a Sean Tucker film. That's lovely. Um, documentaries, really. I think a lot of, I, I love a documentary. I mean, I, I would rather watch a documentary than a feature film, like a, 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 a fiction um, and a lot of documentaries start with some kind of quote to set the theme. And I think that stuck somewhere. And I think the first time I did it was that Snowdonia video, um, something I'd read that week. Because when I, when I script a video or write down the ideas for it, I will throw in quotes that have sparked thinking around it that I don't necessarily include, but it just, it just helps me think around a theme. And at that point, when I was writing the script for that, I'm like, well, why not? You've got these quotes in there. They really sort of match what you're doing throw them up front in text and, and let it lead in with some, I think at that one I had shots of the river going past and just ambient sound of the, of the, of the water going past and it was a nice way to kind of slowly lead into it, I think. And, and you've uh, championed quality over quantity, there's no doubt about that. Um, uh, the, the reason for that, is, is that purely because these take so, so long to produce? A little bit, it, and it's not the length of filming or editing, even though that takes a long time, it's more, I feel like, um, the kind of stuff I want to do should feel rich in content and that takes time to live first 
and to think through and then to write and that's that takes the most time not the filming and the editing i can get that done in a few days it's 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 something i mean i have a list on my phone of topics i've probably got 80 90 topics ready to go which if i'm only doing you know 12 to 20 videos a year that's the next four years but a lot of them aren't ready they're ideas that i I know i still need to do thinking around and when i'm ready to do a video I'll, i'll sort of thumb down that list and and realize i've done enough living to write that script now and then i can sit down and i can write out that script for a week or work on the idea and 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 that's what takes time and i've i watch too many youtubers that i really like over time i feel have started to dilute their content because they've given themselves a hectic schedule of two videos a week or something i mean i would not be able to do that and not dilute my content. There's no ways I could keep up with that schedule. I don't have something interesting to say every week. And I made a commitment early on. I only wanted to make stuff that I would want to watch. And I could only do that realistically. I mean, I only promise one video a month on my channel in the trailer. I often do, at the moment I'm doing two, sometimes I did three last month, but I don't tell people that. I'm only promising one a month. And when they're ready, they're ready. and I, I, yeah, quality is more important. I never want to get to the stage where I'm diluting or stretching content thin because I'm trying to fill a schedule. For the next two weeks, including this, we're taking a peek back at the first year of the FujiCast. And from a very early episode now, a thought on how to handle a question many wedding photographers have faced, face, will face, will always face. How many shots have you taken, photographer? Gallons. Yes. I use that one. Four and a half gallons. Yeah, that's always my answer. Off you. Yeah. Hashtag be like Neil. And people look at you and they think, that must be some photographic thing. Yeah. Can't think of any other ones. Have you got any others? No, and they always ask you in the loo as well. When you're in the loo. Do they? Yeah. Oh, then that's just me then, is it? I try not to hang around in the loo with guests. That seems seems a bit inappropriate to me, Kev. And hold that thought for a moment because it segues neatly with the start of one of our shows, what we call the preamble, that reasonably unplanned part of the show before the theme and questions start to roll. Here's a selection of our favourite preambles, but first, let's paint you an audio picture of what's behind the second of two doors linked to the FujiCast main studio. Right, let's go I ever tell you, by the way, I stood next to um, <laughs> Stuart Pearce in the loo. Stuart Pearce. That could be a whole subject of itself, couldn't it, really? What Famous was... people you've, been, you, you've oh. stood next to in the gents. What was his nickname? Wasn't it like the bulldog? Psycho. Or... Psycho, that was it. Yeah, we'll yeah. sit next to him in the toilet. Well, I, I didn't know what to say to him. I knew it was Psycho because I'd seen him in the, in the pub where we were eating. And I wanted to say, that goal you scored. And made, but he, he probably gets that all the time, doesn't he? Yeah. What do you say next to? I just, we, uh, I just grunted a bit. Then, right? I probably wouldn't <laughs> have said. Remember that time you missed that penalty? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I also stood next to Joe Busink in the uh, in the gents as well, the the wedding photographer. Hmm. I think I'd rather sit next to stand. Well, Nobody sitting. sit next. No, to you, no, no, that no, would no, be odd. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was standing. Yeah. I had a bit of a conversation with him. Mm. I, don't, I can't remember what it was. About. Have you ever stood next to anybody? Famous um, uh, I stood next to Tom Russell. Nobody knows who Tom Russell is. Though. Tom Russell. He's a country and western singer. Um, we normally start with some sort of chat at the start, don't we? Some kind of breaking the ice thing. Yeah, I haven't got anything this week. Um, think, think, think. There's absolutely nothing humorous going on with Brexit. Um, maybe John Burko could come in and explain himself. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'll just press the button. The Fuji Cast. The state of your cameras, Don't though, use it. they're awful. I would never buy a camera from you. No. <laughs> yeah, my cameras are... Yeah, they, they are just beaten up. Yeah. And I... they look... I mean, I love that sort of used look, but yours go... Yours extend beyond used. Uh, yeah, it's because I don't like lens caps or hoods or anything like that, yeah. and so they do get knocked. And your camera bag, it just you throw them in. It's it's yeah. like a Mary Poppins bag. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I'm pretty. Um, yeah, I'm pretty relaxed about all that. But, yeah. Um, don't tell the insurance company. I have to play you this. This was from your Robin Revillius interview that you did, and it features only on the longer version uh, on the Breathe Pictures podcast. But I. I thought I have to play this. What on earth was going? Well, I'll, I'll get the camera. Wonderful. Yeah, on. thank you so much. How about that cake? Yeah? Yes, I will. Shall I cut it open? Yes, do. Help yourself. It's a slice. It's so quick. Uh, probably not. I think oh look, you said, are you going to have a slice? And she said, probably not. How did that make you feel now? Because look, listen now. <laughs> you like you go to war with the wrapping. Look, 
<laughs> How much wrapping is on this cake? <laughs> I remember that cake. I haven't edited this longer. This is you <laughs> opening the cake. <laughs> Promise know, you. Uh, I'm sure it was raining really hard. I'd be awful at unboxings. You'd be rubbish at opening a cake. Look, look at this, hold on. I'm going to have to cut it with... Uh, you know how YouTubers have really um, cool hunting knives and things when mm. they sort of cut into things? Mm. I've got kitchen scissors. There we go. Look at this. You love books? Yeah. Sean Tucker's Collection 1 and Collection oh, 2. Oh, look at that. Can I just add that I bought these? He didn't give these to me free of charge. No. I um, I think it's important sometimes that you invest in uh, Yeah, I absolutely agree. People. So look, Collection 1 and Collection 2. Smell it. Quick. <sighs> Do you think Collection 2 smells any different? Slightly more fruity overtone. It's not just the convenience that's, well, convenient in Studio One. We also have all the door buzzers and phone cams within a short reach. Though the studio designer forgot to install a mute button if the microphones are switched on. And the Amazon man comes calling far more often than we'd like. Down to, um, uh, Mifsuds down in Brixton. Uh, Brixton. Brixham. Uh, down in Devon. And, uh, I went in with this bag and... And you buzzed. <laughs> That's an annoying thing about that thing. I must learn how to turn it off. Let me go and get that quickly. <laughs> You're listening to the first of two specials over Christmas and the New Year, where we take a joint look back at 2019, the first year of the Fujicast. Chris Floyd joined us a short while back on the show. He's a British photographer and filmmaker. His work has featured in Vogue and Vanity Fair, The New Yorker, The Sunday Times Magazine, and the list goes on. Occasionally on the show, we've talked about a new wave of photographers and Chris being one of the UK's more established and certainly experienced shooters in terms of time spent behind the lens, seemed keen to join in with that debate. Though he doesn't lose any sleep over the subject of continually glancing over your shoulder, wondering if those with new ideas and a fresh perspective will start to take work off you as a pro. It's just the nature of life on Earth. It's, you know, there are always younger creatures coming up behind the older creatures I, th I listened to the Tom your Tom Stoddart one actually I, and that really, did really resonate what he said about the, about the young and the old it's youth versus experience isn't it and then that ties back in again to the thing I said when we started talking earlier about maintaining that sense of naivety and exploration in your work because there's no reason why you can't be older and still have a young attitude and mindset in the way you go about your work I mean one of the things I've really noticed a lot I mean, when I looked at the Taylor Wessing winners this year, you know, one of the things that really occurred to me is 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 how prevalent the the the, film, the use of film is now, and people like us who grew up in the film era and then had to deal with learning digital quite quickly, um, and then obviously we've kind of absorbed it, learnt it, now we're comfortable with it, you know. And I do still have all my film cameras, and the and the one film camera I probably use more than any is my large format five four by five why that particular one? Oh, i just like pottering around with it you know i like the i like the process it's it's the one thing you can't get from from using di the digital system is five four or ten eight but um i do think that uh there is a fetishization of film that is that alludes to um what i think of as as pe the pe oh, that people are people are using it as a as a metaphor for having a soul and they're saying uh, you know so people who are re have re young people who really embrace film it's because young people have grown up in they're entirely digital natives now the young they've they've just grown up with digital their whole lives um so it's ubiquitous for them so the idea of latching onto film or playing vinyl records is another one it's a way of saying well you know i'm thinking about it a little bit deeper than you are yeah. but if you're like us and you grew up in the era of film then there's nothing that kind of magical about it to me it's a bit like the it's a bit like the wizard of oz it's like oh come on it's just a bloke around the back on a bike for many new photographers coming into the business or indeed amateurs happy to make pictures for the sake of well making pictures the likes of chris floyd will no doubt be an inspiration but who inspires the inspirers Another darling of the commercial and editorial world, Amelia Trowbridge, featured on the show over the summer of 2019. She too has graced the pages of The Times and Vogue, along with Tatler, Rolling Stone, Dazed and Confused, 
a social documentary maker embracing film, fashion, politics, the arts and society. Dorothy Lang was her immediate source of inspiration, but why? Well, you know, it, it was the first time I'd seen a, a female photographer, I guess, as an explorer and as an adventurer. You know, we're pre-internet here. We're not taught at school about women doing those things. So you don't really know that they do these things, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I wasn't surrounded by people in my immediate circle, in my friends and family who did things like that. So I think when you find someone that's done something that inspires you, it, it, it gives you a jolt, you know, and it, it, it was... But you know that that image that she shot of the mother and child you know it was sort of female suffering and in yeah. a way i was actually rejecting that i'm very much a generation x kind of woman and i was like well my life's not going to be about suffering <laughs> no. she says and i wanted to i wanted to live life and i wanted to see it and i wanted to i wanted to fall and i wanted to succeed and I think with a camera in my hand, it, 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 it makes sense. You know, does the camera choose you or do you choose the camera? Yeah. I, I mean, I felt like it chose me. Let's start back in the, the with those travels. Then. I'm going to go back to the 90s. And you won the Ian Parry Award for your project called Dublin's Urban Cowboys. Yes. A real gritty inner city story about, well, it's youth and there's desperation uh, with, a, with a serving of hope, if, if that doesn't sound too much yeah, like a cliche. No, but there was hope. But for, 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 for young riders and their horses in the city, which is a story i just wasn't aware of um but those horses in that city they were they were quite a feature of that urban landscape but i'm intrigued how you were drawn to that story i saw a little documentary on them on the tv and i was like i need to go there and it was like that's what that's my story and I got on a plane on my own and I hired a Nissan Micro and I didn't know where I was going. I couldn't find it. And I kept kind of asking people and and, and they're there on a Saturday morning in the grey, horrible Irish weather yeah. were all these kids playing in the, the kind of in the square there. Uh, and they were bareback riding and there were no adults. There were just no adults around. And I, I, I remember, you know, that. We, we forget, we take it for granted, you know. People see this bombastic side of me and actually I'm I'm, I'm also a very gentle uh, woman and I was very insecure and to walk up to a stranger at the beginning was a really big deal. It wow, was like okay. going out of your comfort zone. It was jumping off a cliff, you know, and I, you don't know anyone and and I did it and I, I remember feeling so nervous and so sort of scared. And, and, a, and it, it, it was just an absolute connection yeah, with those people. I mean, it's very up close and personal, these pictures, you yeah. I, mean, I, I would imagine you're yeah. I felt an absolute connection yeah. to these children. It's work that you made it's almost a quarter of a century ago now, isn't it? I mean, mm. it's, it's formative yeah, I'm work. 21, 22. But, I just left the university. But it and, still takes very valuable uh, page space on your website. So it's something that you're still very connected with, isn't it? It's a tough industry, as we all know today. And I know it's all about, you know, you're only as good as your last job and it's about what you do now. But I, I, I'm really proud of the fact, one of my, you know, people are like, what are you most proud? of or what's your greatest achievement it's like surviving as a photographer earning yeah. a living for 25 years and that is because it's really hard and i think those pictures are important coming up some news about the first birthday show which will be on thursday 30th of january at the house of photography in london the first places have already been reserved and i'll have an update before the close today now you might be thinking to be a guest on the show you have to be some kind of photographic great like amelia or chris or be a youtuber with hundreds of thousands of followers but that just wouldn't be true. The FujiCast has been made by you and your questions, and we've been delighted to hear from you with your special projects. And one such guest earlier in 2019 was Mandy Burton. And with the new year just around the corner, if you're listening to this on the day of release, or fully underway and beckoning you to make new decisions if you're playing catch-up, Mandy's tale was one of finding belief in your ideas. A friend and photographic mentor had suggested she start a project about her passion, dogs, the idea became a project called 100 Strangers and Their Dogs, and the project grew into a book. But for Mandy, who wasn't exactly keen on just walking up to strangers full stop, if the photo project was to even get off the ground, she had to get over that initial fear. Because the whole thing starts with, I love this story, you're on a bike and you approach this, I think, I think there was one aborted mission prior to this guy, but you approach this tattooed muscle guy with his, <laughs> yeah. with his staffy bull terrier. Yeah, fishing rod in his <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you remember how it felt, or or how you you know how you felt more appropriately? You see, a few days previous, because I cycled to work and back along the canal, it's absolutely brilliant. But I'd, I'd been practicing cycling up to it, right? Hello, da, 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 da. you know, you, you go through it in your head what I'd say because I was toying with the idea. But then, then I, 
I didn't think I'd ever do it. And and that that day, something. It was a Friday. It was in June, so there was a there was about two or three weeks since I'd spoken to Kate. So this that is this is practically this time last year, isn't it? Yep, yep, yep June yep. 15th, I think it started. Yep. Um, and, uh, and, and I remember cycling up and I saw this guy with the retriever, the, the, the guy that I was too scared to ask. And, and I thought, right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Cycled up straight past. Could, I just couldn't. I was, I was just like, I bottled it. And then I was so, so angry and disappointed at myself. And I rode on for maybe, I don't know, maybe another two minutes. And then I saw this, this massive guy coming up. And uh, I thought, well, if I can ask him, I can ask anyone. And before I knew it, I'd braked and blurted out at about 100 miles an hour. Excuse me, I'm doing a project called 100 Strangers and Their Dogs. Is it okay if I take your picture? Um, you know, um, well, uh, it's okay if it's a no, but if I could just, that would be, and he, and he was just looking really bemused, just like really chilled out and relaxed in the sunshine. He went, yeah, that's absolutely fine. And it was like, um, hurt. so I got my camera out of my bag. My hands were shaking so much. I'm surprised I didn't drop it in the canal. And... Um, <laughs> And I was holding it up like, oh god, oh god! I had it. I think it was aperture priority, um, and 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 I, I knew nothing about um, lighting or direction of the sun. I just thought that from I think when you know you hear people talk, keep the sun behind you. So I had the sun behind me, and he looked a bit like a raccoon because you know the the harsh shadows because it was around midday, yeah, and yeah. I, I didn't know any of that. So I just took about three or four shots. Went, oh, thank you. Showed him the back of the camera. Tried to get it in my bag, but I swear my hands were just like <laughs> got on my bike, hold onto the handlebars best I could with jelly arms. Tried to pedal. My foot slipped off the pedal. It must have looked like oh my life. What is up? It's with like a carry on film. Yeah. Talking of books, over the last couple of months, Joe Houghton was a guest on the show. Joe, like Mandy, had found a passion project, and he too was keen to publish. He published Streets of Dublin through Amazon, and I was keen to find out how. For many photographers, pro or indeed amateur, publishing your own photography book is a bucket list item, and if it's something on your to-do document for a new decade, I thought you might be quite pleased by what you're about to hear in the next few minutes. First up, I asked Joe what he thought he'd learned from the whole adventure. I suppose the biggest thing is it's it's very achievable. Um, it, it was one of those bucket list things that I never really thought I would do. Um, but flicking through Instagram, as I often do of an evening, I, I realised that I was wasting, you know, almost an hour an evening sometimes on, on social media. <laughs> yeah. And I started to... I just, that evening, I, I put it down and I said, right, I'm going to use this hour. And I opened up a Google Doc and I started writing. And six weeks later, so, you know, 50 hours of writing later, I had the book. I, I don't think it's going to win any literary awards. It's, it's me talking onto the page. And then it was just a matter of figuring out um, Amazon, um, Kindle Direct Publishing, KDP, which is pretty easy. I mean, they walk you through the process. So sorry, um, who who did you do that? So you, you you used what to do that? So I used I used a thing called Amazon um, KDP Kindle KDP. Direct Publishing. Okay. Um, so you basically just Google KDP and up it comes, and and it, it's a series of pages, and they they tell you to upload the PDF here and oh. put in the keywords and and various terms and things, and then a week later you get an email saying you are now a published author. And how does um, how does that work with regard to, um, because you've not bought a print run of, say, 500 or 1,000. As people purchase the book, how does that work? It's print on demand. So basically, I mean, Amazon have created this whole infrastructure so anybody can create a book and, and upload it. So it's all done electronically. So let's say you, you log on to Amazon now and you find Streets of Dublin and you order a copy. Then... They just print that and they ship it to you. You know, if I, as an author, want want fifty copies, I can just order a box full, and then they'll 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 print them up and they'll send them to me. So it's it it, it makes the whole process very very easy, and it can be absolutely free. The only cost to me, apart from time, obviously, was that I bought the the ISBN number. You know, the the number on the yeah. barcode at the yeah, back yeah. of the book. Um, if you want the books distributing into physical bookshops, you have to buy your own ISBN. And is, is that an expensive process? No, no. I bought. You can buy a, a, group, a block of ten for about a hundred and twenty pounds. Oh, okay, all right. Um, or, or one costs eighty pounds, I think. So you know, you buy a block of ten and keep them for your next book. 
I think on Amazon UK it's it's nine pounds, yeah. is it eight or nine pounds, something like that? If if I sell a paperback on Amazon, I think I get three euro. There's the print cost of uh, I think is about two fifty or something, and then they charge a distribution cost, and and then three euro kind of gets added into my account. And that's it for this week's part one review of the first year of the Fujicast. Part two features many more of the guests from the first year, however. Now, you'll have heard if you listened to episode 45, the Nativity Show, the special announcement. It's our one-year birthday coming up, so we thought a meet-up and show recording would be a grand idea. Only one place that we felt would be suitable for this. So, 30th of Jan at Fujifilm's House of Photography, 8-9 Long Acre, Covent Garden, London. That will be the address for the first year birthday podcast. You can come earlier, but the show starts at 6.30pm and Andreas Georgiadis, marketing manager in the UK for Fujifilm, will be our special guest to answer anything nudge-nudge Fujifilm-related. Though, as always, it's a photography show, so bring along your questions on other stuff too, as we really want it to be a show that's led by you. It's a ticket-only event. We're not charging for the tickets. It just gives us an idea of how much cake we need to order in from M&S, other cake and brands available. So if you'd like a ticket, go to www.fujicast.co.uk. Send us your name, and if you want one or two tickets via the contact page, and simples, you are in. Having said that, uh, there's a slight limit on numbers. So, first come, first served. It's almost a, a kind of ticket-winning thing now. The Fuji cast. So far, the winners include Oliver Holder, Darishma Fenereski, Helen Perry, Nigel Hayward, Scott Carney... Murray McMillan, Wayne Lahr, Matt Pitts, Paul Gallagher, Jonathan House, Stephen Hawking, ex-photographer Scott Johnson, Leon Lewis, Stephen Gray, Mickey Steptoe, Andy Stonia, Andrew Higgins, Louise Sullivan, Emily Renier, uh, David Keely, Eva Atlee-Sigionson, who's coming all the way from Iceland, Michael Schilling, Stephen Elliott, James Sauls, Leslie Burdett, Anna McCarthy, two tickets to Luke Price, friends of the show, Steve and Sam Vaughan, Neil Ford, Johnson, John Smith, Dave Willett, Alex Jones, Jonathan Clapton, Luke Bailey, and Keith Martin. And that was the list I had at the time of recording, just after the first announcement. So who knows where that is now? Hurry! If you want to come, we'd love to see you. Please only send for a ticket if you can make the date. That's really important. Come earlier than 6.30 to have a look around this incredible new palace of photography. Never mind house. And if you need a nibble beforehand, there's the world-famous Five Guys, but a mere 50 big strides from the front door. And we'll find a falafel shop for Kev too. Part two, then, of the best of the guest show continues next week, along with a few choice moments, including the now infamous wedding guest or squawking bird quiz. If you're listening with just days or maybe hours to go to a new decade, hope your new year comes in with the, the greeting you think it deserves. If it's already 2020, then welcome to that new decade. The Fujicast returns next week with regular programming continuing the week after, including a special edition almost straight away from Switzerland as two blokes in a pile of Fuji films head to the slopes to go out shooting a wedding together. Anything could happen. The Fujicast is an independent Loading Zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.